Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky the Blue, the associate editor and full-time Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. We are here once again, back better than ever, with another full episode of the TSL podcast. As always, I am joined by my bosses and cohorts here at TSL, Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. Guys, the college football playoff rankings came out on Tuesday night. Um, any any kind of surprises out of, out of that group? Yeah, I was really surprised that Georgia was number one. Really? Um, now, I'd, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that I really didn't pay any attention to anything other than to just write it up for TSL and just scan the rankings. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just assumed they'd put uh, Alabama at number one. They didn't. They put Georgia. Georgia has a really good – I shouldn't say really good resume, but they have a very good resume. They've got the, the maybe one of the best wins of all season uh, against Notre Dame. Right. And they're undefeated. I mean, they, it doesn't get much better than that. They stomp Mississippi State, who's a pretty yeah. good team this year. I mean, they're just blowing everybody away. I think this is actually the first time I've gotten the playoff right one through four. I got every single one right in order. And you can check this on our message boards. I'm not saying this after the fact, <laughs> but I had it directly in order. I think, uh, to me, there, there's three teams this year that have really passed the eye test, and that's Georgia, Alabama, and Notre Dame. And so Georgia's number one uh, by strength, by, by uh, their resume, you know, really. They have the best resume. Alabama, you know, they don't have a great resume per se, but they're undefeated and they're Alabama. And, you know, Notre Dame's number three. And they have one loss, and that was to Georgia, who's number one by one point. And if you look at their three wins, they've beaten, um, excuse me, they've beaten NC State. Who's a ranked team. They've beaten Michigan State. Uh-huh. And they've beaten USC. USC. They All three USC. of those are in the top 25 for the college football playoffs. So personally, I would have put Notre Dame ahead of Bama, uh, to be honest. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean, you... Just because Bama has, Bama is. Bama's looked better in their in their undefeated season so far than a Wisconsin or a Miami, mm-hmm. but they haven't played anybody. You're right; they haven't played anybody. Uh, you know, it, at the beginning of the season, we all thought, "Well, that's going to be a you know pretty quality win over Florida State," but Whoops. apparently not. <laughs> I mean, I, I think about this: Boston College beat Florida State by more points than Alabama did. At what point in that Alabama game did they knock uh, DeAndre Francois? I, I don't know. I think it was in the third or fourth quarter. It was. It was. De- I feel like it was definitely in the second it half. It wasn't real late. I think it was second half. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what about this? What if Mark Richt going from Georgia to Miami improved both teams? It certainly seems like it has, hasn't it? Well, we'll, we'll you know, we'll see because Richt had Georgia. Very, very close a couple of times. I think there was one SEC championship game about 10 years ago where he had, I think it was Alabama, he had him beat. It was 2011 where they almost beat Alabama too. Yeah, uh, so so that, I think they were that close to going to the national championship game if they if did, If they had right? beaten Alabama, they would have gone to the national title game, and I think they got tackled on the two-yard line at yeah. the end of the game. So everything looks better now, but you got to remember that Rick also had them right right on the verge once or twice and just didn't follow through. Definitely, but it always seemed like Rick's teams at Georgia would start out 
you know, six, seven and oh, and then they would falter late in the year. And whenever they were, you know, the, the, the favorite in a big game, they always fell short. It seemed like I they hope, could he, never I hope get he brings over. that pattern to Miami versus Virginia <laughs> Tech, just you know, being highly like ranked and falling short. Yeah, because I think they're going to play a lot of hope, high-profile games against each other over the next few years. Yeah, I, yeah most so, likely. Yeah, so yeah. if he continues that trend, that would be good. Really quick, let's go ahead and recap Tech's uh, win over Duke, which was obviously in the slop. It really got really bad in the second half, and that's where I want to start. Lane Stadium has been kind of uh, lauded or praised for its ability to handle a lot of rain at, at a, in a, a short amount of time. I think the, the number was, what, 16 inches an hour or something That's what the lines. system is designed for. It is designed when the pumps are running to handle 16 inches of rain an hour, which is ludicrous. It never rains <laughs> Yeah, of much. course, of course. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, if it rained that much during a game, then nobody would be able to yeah, get we it. We'd, we all, be we'd all be sailing our arcs around, you know. <laughs> so so uh, it, on, on Saturday night – and. There was maybe roughly, what, two inches of rain that fell uh, on Saturday Yeah, there was like 1.8 inches uh, that night. Well, as we all saw who were at the game and those who watched on TV, there were some sizable puddles on on the field. They were scattered out. There were some on the the north end zone. They were a lot in the middle of the field. Uh, It got kind of of, uh, standing water-ish over on the sidelines out of play. Uh, I I mean, personally, I was really surprised that, 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 that that was an issue. Yes. So first of all, let me this let me preface my comments by saying this isn't a witch hunt or anything. I'm just no, no, cur- no. I'm just yeah, curious. Yeah. You know? I, I think we're all just really curious as to what happened. So uh, you, you remember they had the BCA game canceled against Georgia Tech. That was uh, first game of the 2000 season, and Virginia Tech after the 2000 season paid 1.3 million dollars, and they were the only college team in the country to have this system at the time. I think the Giants had installed it in the Meadowlands. Um, if I remember correctly. So Tech had, you know, this is when Tech's budget was $28 million bucks, and they spent $1.3 million on, uh, on this tray system for the field that, uh, you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about how it's constructed, but basically it was raised up a little bit and you could put, uh, um, there was a, a system underneath it of, uh, of drains and you could put a, a pump on this thing and you could suck water down through the field now you could also heat the field during the winter that was one of the things they were going to do because frank loved bermuda grass and i guess they probably still got bermuda grass yeah, in Lane stadium and uh, they were looking forward to you know heating that grass during the winter and keeping it going and i will say that the field has looked fantastic you know the last few years basically year-round so anyway this this system could suck a lot of water you know off the field and you weren't supposed to get the whole standing water issue well, clearly we did the other night, so I just got to thinking, what's the story there? And we tried to uh, tried to get an answer out of Virginia Tech. Tried to get, I'm smiling as I say this. Tried tried <laughs> to get uh, you know the right guy in front of the media this week. That didn't happen, you know. And uh, shocker. Now the there are only a couple of guys, and this is one of the things that happens when you you roll over personnel like Tech has done the last few years. There's really two guys I can think of over there that would know about this system and know how it works and all that. John Belen, who still works for the athletic department, and Tom Gabbard was in charge of yeah. facilities at the time. So Tom in particular would know about it. Yeah. Um, and again, this isn't a witch hunt or anything. There was just clearly uh, something failed. It was not turned on or failed or whatever. <laughs> something and, failed. Yeah. Except whatever it was, that system operating the way it was designed would have had no problem. You know, guys wouldn't have even been slipping. So, you know, interesting sidebar. We never really did get an answer uh, about what went on, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. 
Yeah, and Chris, how much do you think that not only the field conditions, which really got kind of uh, iffy in the fourth quarter there and then in the late third, how much do you think all of the weather conditions played and just how the game, you know, the game ended up? Yeah, uh, I think it, it didn't help the offenses any. Um, no, no, you, I think if, you, if you're playing on a field that's flooded like that, you know, it just gets sloppy and it gets more difficult to move. But, but you know, it's harder to drive the ball, really. Because if, if it's a run right up the middle and they use the same football on the very next play, then then you know it's it's really it's going to be really really wet. If you're playing on a field that has a good drainage system, and let's say it's a, it's an incomplete pass to the sideline, well, you're throwing a dry ball out there, and it's not going to stay dry for very long. But maybe it's a little more dry for that next play. Um, so I, I think it had an effect. But I, I honestly, though, well, you I don't know. think Duke was going to score much anyway. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think yeah. Virginia Tech was going to score much. Yes and anyway. no, because yeah. what the, the game was it's basically over when Tech scored right before so, halftime. Which is which is where I wanted to get to next. And then when they went up 24-3, to three, it was really over, and I don't think it mattered how much it rained after yeah, that. Yeah. And the bulk of the rain occurred after the 17-3, 24-3 time frame. Yeah, I mean, so go, going to that sequence there at the end of the first half, Virginia Tech had the ball in roughly the 35-yard line of Duke, they had facing a fourth and four, fourth and five. Decided that they wanted to basically, you know, try and pin Duke deep, and they ended up pinning him what at the four or Two something along those lines. Mm-hmm. It was something in yeah. there. And then Duke has a failed third down attempt. They pick up the uh, personal foul on Sean Wilson, I believe is his last name. Which, yeah. <laughs> let's be honest, according to not only Trayvon Hill. But other players, it was a total flop, and I saw the video. It was hilarious. It looks like I'm it. wondering why he didn't get a scholarship offer to Duke <laughs> to play basketball. Anyway. Oh, man. <laughs> so so that 15-yarder really obviously wasn't 15 yards because it was only half the distance to the goal. But the big thing was that it stopped the clock. Hmm. And Tech was able to get the ball back with pretty good field position after another solid Greg Stroman punt return. They complete a pass or two. Next thing you know, uh, Josh Jackson hits Sean Savoy in one-on-one coverage. Sean actually high points a ball at five foot nine and gets into the end zone. How critical was that sequence right there to really end all all, all doubt of this game? Well, it, it was huge, and and I I love the way Fuente manages the clock going into halftime. That's two weeks in a row where he squeezed a touchdown out when the other team had the ball with a minute or a minute and a half to go. So and the other team had just gotten the ball last week against UNC and this week against Duke with a minute or a minute and a half to go. And Tech still squeezed a touchdown out in both instances. Um, the thing about the Savoy play is, you know, there's not a lot to talk about about that Duke game. You know, they're just – how many exceptional plays were there? Offensively not or many. You know, Terrell had a nice interception. The Savoy play was – that's a great play because if, if, you, if you go back and you look at the film, Duke blitzed. And uh, Josh Jackson basically just chucked it up in the air off his back heel. And Savoy went up and made the play. And these are the plays you need to make if you're going to win football games. You know, you can't just, oops, didn't catch that one. Well, that was a tough catch anyway. <laughs> you know, Isaiah, you just watch Isaiah Ford against Pitt last year. He made catch after catch after catch. You got to make those plays. And the other player I remember is uh, I thought McLeese's uh, opening touchdown run was a really nice play. Deshaun McLeese had himself a game, 15 carries, 75 yards, a touchdown. Tech's leading rusher as an individual. It seemed like he kind of returned maybe to the lineup a bit. Yeah, I think Fuente made a good comment on Monday. He said he wishes Tech's backs would make more guys miss in the hole. And that's exactly what McLeese did on his touchdown run. Yeah. I mean, that bl- that play was blocked perfectly, but 
you have, your running back has to make plays sometimes. And and the best running games have big-time running backs who can make plays. Uh, Ryan Williams used to make guys miss. David Wilson would break tackles <laughs> like crazy. And, and, and it's just now, I mean, a lot of people blame the offensive line, but a lot of times this year, you remember there's always on a traditional running play, there's always two extra defenders. And, and yeah, you, there's yeah, 11 yeah. defenders and nine blockers. There's going to be at least one free hitter. And the running back has to make a man miss to, to get more than three or four yards on a play. And run, Tex running backs haven't been doing that th- this year. Uh, you know, Trayvon McMillan's running style this year, he's he's kind of running up high and, and just, just doesn't look like a natural runner. Uh, now, Colvin Vox has made the first man miss. Right. I don't know. I still don't in, know in why the third playing, and fourth but, quarter. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I, I don't want to have that conversation anymore. <laughs> no, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, McLeese made that guy miss the other day. And when he had his big runs against West Virginia, it's when he either made a man miss or break a tackle or, or whatever. And that's what you have to have to really have a successful running game. There's only so much the offensive line can do. You don't have to have an elite running back, but you do have to have a guy who can who can make guys miss. Uh, I can't remember if we said this last week on the podcast or not. If you want to make yourself cry, go watch, watch Ryan Williams highlights from 2009. Yeah. He explodes through the hole. He makes guys miss. He drags an NC State defender into the end Man, zone from 10 yards that out. Is a, that is a cool highlight, watching him just drag yeah. that guy. You, 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 I'm not asking a guy to do that every single play, you know, but at least uh, make guys miss and at least make the fans go, whoa, didn't think he'd make it through that hole, that kind of thing. And as we'll talk about later in the podcast, Virginia Tech really needs a good rushing performance against Miami if they're going to win on Saturday night. But let's go ahead and put a, 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 a bow on the Duke game. Tech wins that game. It's over with. It's done with. And it's in the trash bin of history now. I want to talk about the Miami rivalry. This was a thing that really kind of started, I guess, in what, the mid to late 90s. Mid 90s. And, and really kind of became a huge national uh, kind of spectacle there for, mm-hmm. for a long period of time. Um, and obviously, Tech's, I believe their win in 95 was – Tech's first win over Miami as a program, correct? I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, 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 and I, I want to get to all of these big wins here throughout the history for Tech, but Chris, that 95 win, do, do you feel like, and, and Bud Foster talked about this on Tuesday, do you feel like that that win kind of propelled Virginia Tech into kind of racing towards that upper echelon status? Well, they were 0-2 going into that game, and they had lost to Boston College and Cincinnati in back-to-back weeks, and Miami's coming to town. And, you know, I think it was Butch Davis's first year as Miami's head coach. And I guess they had, they had Ray Lewis playing for him in 1995. I mean, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, you know, they were they were a talented football team. I think Warren Sapp Warren had Pratt. left. I mean, he, he might, might have, might have still been there. Before. I don't remember. But, uh, you know, they were a talented football team. And Tech beat them 13-7. to And it was kind of an interesting game and to watch. And it wasn't even, wasn't even that close. It wasn't that close. Uh, now, a Miami fan will tell you that Virginia Tech got an interception inside the 10-yard line when Miami was driving, and the ball clearly hit the ground. And in these days of replay review, that play would be overturned, and that Miami fan would be absolutely right because Miami was driving and Tech got an interception, and uh, it shouldn't have been an interception. But but Tech also missed a couple of field goals, dropped a long touchdown pass, et cetera, et cetera. The really, game really should have been higher scoring than 13-7, to but Tech went on to win their – Next 10 games, including a win over Texas in the Sugar Bowl. And, yeah, that's kind of when the program first reached national heights, so to speak. Now, and they, now they were won 10 games again in 1996. They took a step back in 97 and in 98, but the recruiting was starting to improve in, in 97 and 98. And they were able to go out and recruit guys like Lee Suggs and, and Michael Vick and Jake Housewright. 
based on the past reputation of that Sugar Bowl win and the next year's Orange Bowl appearance. So, you know, 1999, 2000 comes around. They were really, really talented, and that's really a result of, of their success in the mid-'90s, starting really with that Miami win. So some of the lore from that 1995 Miami game, uh, I, I was looking something up on my phone. Did you mention that Adel Larson missed four field goals? Was it four? I, I, he, I knew he missed at least two. He was two of six, yes. And, and Brian still dropped a wide-open Dro- pass. I remember the still drop. That game was a blowout everywhere, yeah. everywhere but the score. So what I was looking up was what uh, what was Miami like that year. Because what I remember is they, they opened the season, they got smoked by UCLA 31-8. to and then they beat Florida A&M, and then the next week they lost to Virginia Tech. Well, there's a there's a story that came out of that where um, the week before Virginia Tech and Miami played, uh, Ricky Bussell, who was Tech's offensive coordinator at the time, rolled into the meeting room and said, we're going to run all over these guys. I've watched film, and we, we're going to run all over them. And Tech ran for 300 yards that day against – Dwayne Thomas had a I guess he was day. right. <laughs> yeah, so – if, if you get a chance, uh, Hokie Tapes on YouTube probably has it. Go look at the uh, 1995 Tech-Miami game. And it's not just a Tech ran for 300 yards. There were gaping holes in the Miami defense that day. And, yeah. And it was funny. You know, it, Tech won at the, at the end. Miami threw to the end zone, and Lauren Johnson was a true freshman corner, and he knocked the pass down, and everybody freaked out. And I remember standing in the stands thinking, well, we – we better win this game because I just watched three hours of Virginia Tech just crushing Miami. I know. And it's still a big deal, so everybody flooded the field. But for me, by that time, it was more a sense of relief that that pass fell incomplete because Miami did not deserve to win that game. Virginia Tech was a better team. Tech had completely outplayed them, and it still came down to the final play. And, you know, they were still going to pick Miami for the Sugar Bowl that year if my, if the Canes hadn't gone on probation yeah, late so the, in the season. Yeah, the Canes were 1-2, and two, and then my phone's gone dark. But they lost the next game as well, so they fell to 1-3, and three, mm-hmm. and then Miami won wow. out. So you wind up with a situation at the end of the year where Tech and Miami were both 7-6-1 and six and one in the Big East because there were eight teams, right? Right. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. Yeah, they were both six and one, and sure enough, the, even though Tech had won the head-to-head and, and had a better overall record, yeah, the 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 Orange Bowl was gonna take the Canes, and then the Canes uh, self uh, um, they they got caught doing something. I don't remember whatever what. it was that put them on probation for the next three or four years. But it was very unusual in that the NCAA put them on probation right before the bowl picks were made, and Miami said, "We'll take our our uh, you know one of the." Uh, um, Parts of probation was they couldn't go to a bowl game, and Miami said, "We'll do that this year, right now." So then they are uh, the Sugar Bowl pick. I think they probably did it that year because they weren't that good that year anyway. They they were good, but eight and three, they would have lost to Texas in the Sugar Bowl most likely. Uh, Or or who would they play in the Orange Bowl? Probably. I I think that year. That, that was so you're uh, right. That was the orange the, was going to take it, Miami, which was going to bump. I, th- I think the and, orange took Notre Dame and Florida State that year instead, and Miami would have lost to either one of. We're getting way into teams. the weeds here. I'm sure we can win some I don't know how I have this kind of memory. I was 12 years old <laughs> because you were 12 years old. That's why <laughs> I have that kind of memory. The other one of the other games I wanted to talk about, and, and this is one that's always stuck with me uh, growing up in Virginia Beach, watching Virginia Tech football as a kid. Uh, I know that the season didn't end up all that great, but that 2003 game with with Tech and Miami, I mean, that was just – I mean, Tech's offense, did, especially through the air, did, did not do all that well. But, man, they pantsed Miami I, I, on national television. Yeah, you know, it was impressive. 
and everybody got all excited, and then they lost to Pitt and lost like four of their last five. <laughs> yeah, it got bad. Come on now, stick to the top. <laughs> stick to the five. But that was such a strange game. Uh, you know, Eric Green returned a punt for a touch, or excuse me, returned an interception for a touchdown. D'Angelo Hall stripped uh, Ros- Roscoe Parrish and returned it for a touchdown. Michael Crawford had a had an interception in return that set up another touchdown. And they had a deep ball for Ernest Wilford, which was the only pass they completed for positive yardage the entire night. <laughs> One of two passes completed. One right? of two passes completed. I bet that might be – that's probably the biggest blowout where only two passes were completed. Except, unless, unless maybe like under the Paul Johnson offense somewhere along something the line. Like I, I, th- I think Tech was like two of seven passing or some, something, something like, like that. that. With but an interception. They didn't really need to throw the ball that much because KJ was having himself a game. KJ was having himself a game and, and Miami just couldn't move the ball. Well, one of the, you, you brought up KJ and, and one of the things that I remember from that game is that uh, um, Kevin Jones ripped off a run down the sideline early in the game and uh, – who was the safety? Was it Sean Taylor? Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor. Is, he, is he? Rest in peace. Yeah, right. He's the one so uh, KJ went down the sidelines, and Taylor, who was a big dude, closed in on him, and Kevin didn't run out of bounds. He, he You could Put see it coming. Down. The two of them just lined each other up and hit each other and uh, got up, and they were just helmet to helmet, woofing at each other. It was great I think stuff. The, I think they knew each other somehow, maybe from yeah, the recruiting Yeah, I process. interviewed Kevin, and, yeah. and he said that they, I think they had run track events against each yeah, other so or something like that. they knew each other. And you're talking about two elite-level athletes right there. I mean, both, both those guys' first-round first round yeah. picks. Yeah. KJ had a, a decent career in the NFL. He was marred by injuries a bit, and obviously – before Sean's death, was one of the best safeties in the league. Sure, and they were both five-star kids coming out of yeah. high school. You know, if they did star rankings back then, who the heck knows? But, uh, yeah, that, that was a big-time moment in that game. And, and that was one of a lot of games in a row. I think it was seven games in a row between Virginia Tech and Miami where both teams were ranked. What do you guys remember about the 2004 game? That was the first oh, time that Tech and Miami played each other when both were in the ACC uh, the ACC did not have a conference championship, so that was the de facto conference championship game. If I remember correctly, that yep. was in yep. Miami. It right? was in Miami. And, and Tech ended up winning that game and winning the ACC title in their first year in the conference. I always have a fondness for my 2004 team. It's my favorite team in Tech history because I was a senior in college. And, you know, I got to Virginia Tech right after the 1999 and 2000 seasons, so I'm expecting to compete for national championships <laughs> and things like that. And then 2001, 2002, and 2003 happened, and I'm like, my God, can I have one good year while I'm here? It happened my senior year when Tech when Tech won the ACC, and I remember so many things about that game. Obviously, I remember uh, remember the game winning touchdown pass to Eddie Royal. I remember the great catch by Jeff King to yep. keep a drive going. I think that was a fourth down catch. Yep, I remember. Now that was one of those catches where it's like Dwight Clark's catch in in for San Francisco. When you watch a replay, you think it's actually defying the laws of physics that the ball yeah, stuck to his hands. I, know. Yeah. Uh, I remember Tech batting down three consecutive passes on Miami's last drive. Yeah. I, I think it was a one couple by Jonathan Lewis, one by Daryl Tapp, or vice versa. Uh, I, I think Jim Davis. Jim Davis, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see, I remember Eric Green having an interception on fourth and one. Miami went play action from like their own from the Tech 40 and threw deep on fourth and one. Yeah, Eric Tech had two guys there. They were all over. Yeah, yeah. Eric Green picked it off, and he should have just knocked it down. It would have given Tech better field right, position. Right. Uh, you know, I remember, I remember Brian Randall fumbling, and then – 
Miami having good field position, but then the Tech defense stepped up. Brock Berlin tried to roll out and get outside of James Anderson, yeah. and Anderson just ran him down like a cheetah running down his prey yeah. on like an African I feel like plane James Anderson somewhere. is one of the more underrated players uh, he, in, in Tech history. He was, a fun, he was perfect for the whip position phenom- at the time. Phenomenal athlete. Tech, Tech had had, and he some, had a, a long NFL career, and, and Tech had had some good whips. Guys like um, Brandon Simonis, um, help me out here. Uh, uh, let's see, Prelo was a rover. Uh, ben Taylor played whip for a year. Yeah, but to backer. But they they were guys that were typically a little smaller, just not the phenomenal combination of size and speed that James Anderson was. Yeah, and he was a classic example of of a guy who never went to camps or anything like that and was a totally under-the-radar recruit and turned out to be a great now, player. Now, see, I would argue that he was the the first of – well, right, Simonez was really good in 95 and 96. Do you even remember who started at Whip in 97? At I first it was Corey Irby, but then he blew out his knee like in the second or third game of the season. Might, might have been that Syracuse game earlier in the year. So the rest of the year, I, I think they were even playing Prelo at, at Whip some that year yeah. when he was normally a rover. 1998. Eight, it was Lorenzo Ferguson, and then he got kicked off the team. Mike Mike Daniels played some somewhere along that uh, stretch. Nineteen ninety nine, it was Ben Taylor, but in two thousand yeah. they moved him to, uh, Backer. to backer. So da- down at down at the at the end of the season, you're playing like remember the T.J. Jackson kid in, in, in the bowl game, <laughs> yeah. and then two thousand two and two thousand three, you had Brandon Manning who wasn't very good. So there was a long stretch before that where Tech didn't have a good whip, but then they changed defenses between the two uh, two thousand three and two thousand four season. Uh, the whip became, you know, a little more of a traditional Closer to line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that type. Uh, more of a linebacker, less of a DB at that stage. And they moved James Anderson from backup backer to whip. And I remember he started off spring practice as the third string at, at whip linebacker. Brandon Manning was first. Um, Aaron Rouse was second. And James Anderson was third. And by the time the season started, that was reversed. Yeah. Rouse stayed second, but Manning and Anderson flip-flopped and you know on that play he made in the Miami game it was huge because Miami had just forced a fumble around midfield and in what's going to be a low scoring game that could have been critical but almost like just a couple plays later he forced Berlin to fumble and the Tech offense got it right back. Yeah that was a big play. Talking about all of this takes me to the the really the the main two questions in this segment of the podcast that I really want to hit on. Number one do you feel like we are getting to the point where that mystique of the Miami rivalry is starting to come back. Do you feel like that this rivalry is starting to have some wow factor and, and, and also just some actual importance now that both teams are, you know, trying to compete for ACC titles and, and maybe even move on. So, so here's what you need. It's headed in that direction, but, but for it to really become a thing, I think Chris just said they played six or seven games in a row where both teams were ranked. Um, some of those were great games. Some of them weren't. Some of them were blowouts. So what you need is you need you need what you've got this weekend. You've got two ranked teams, primetime, 8 o'clock ABC. Then you need to play some great games, some close games that come down to the last play. Games, like frankly, like Virginia Tech's game against West Virginia earlier this year. That was a fun game to watch. Yeah, you need 1996 Virginia Tech-Miami, 1998 Virginia Tech-Miami, 2001 Virginia Tech-Miami. Yeah, things, things really come down 1995, to the 1995, I mean, there were so many games early in this rivalry that, that were so good. And, and the other thing you need is you need it to go back and forth. Um, sorry, but I've said this over and over and over. If you want to have a rivalry game, both sides need to win some up. You know, Virginia Tech and UVA is not a rivalry anymore. It's got to go back and forth. It's painful to go through if you're a fan. You want to win them all. 
But no, that's what builds a great rivalry is tight games, great plays like what you had Virginia Tech, West Virginia, and, uh, you know, going back and forth. So uh, hopefully it's headed in that direction because the ACC needs it. They, oh, it does. They've, it they've really got, does. They've got it on the Atlantic side with, uh, you know, assuming Florida State ever gets back up off the mat again. You oh, know, they, man. They've got it over there. They need it on the coastal side now. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of Florida State, I'm going to go slightly off topic here. And I read this on the message boards yesterday, so I don't know this is, if this is a fact, but uh, one of their starting defenders, the, the Pew guy, I forget his first name, but apparently he has straight up said in the media at some point this year that Florida State has too many guys on defense thinking about the NFL draft next year, and they're trying to protect themselves. And It happens. It happens. And you know, we, Florida we, State has a team full of guys like that now. Got to love Ryan Williams. That was one of the things we heard about him That's his last fun. year was that he was mailing it in during ball prep because he was going pro and he didn't want to get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you see guys taking the bowl game off these days and, and not even playing in a, in a bowl game because of that. So you, that, And this is why Nick Saban's a genius. He has a bunch of early entries every year. But they play hard all year, and, you, you know, you don't see them, you know, arguing with each other on the sideline in a 35-3 to loss to Boston College and things like that. Back you don't see them losing 35-3 to to a Boston no, College team don't. either. <laughs> Can you imagine Alabama losing 35-3 to to somebody? I, I can't imagine. Imagine, imagine Bama losing 35-3 to versus Missouri or Vanderbilt. Or Vanderbilt. Or even South Carolina. Imagine yeah. that. And a hush filled the room. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I mean, yeah, it's well, just. Uh, well, it, well, it certainly wouldn't happen under Nick Sape. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, think. Uh, what was your original question? Did, did, <laughs> are, are we getting to that point? Did, oh, do you feel yeah, like yeah. where this rivalry is kind of maybe becoming one of those sexy things again? I think it's heading in the direction. I think when you've got a guy like Fuente, who I consider an elite coach, and a guy like Rick, who is a proven coach, you know, he did, he did not quite won a national championship uh, against Georgia. But his teams were never bad. Right. His, his, okay, he, he was good enough to where his last season, the season he got fired after, was 9-3. and three. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, that, that that's pretty good. That's the thing about the SEC, man, is that if you, you know, you get to a point where you win so often and then your your expectations are raised and then they get raised too high where it's almost, you can't sustain it. Florida just. And next thing you know, you're, you know, you're canned. Florida just fired a guy in the middle of his third season who won the SEC East in his first two seasons. So in seasons he completed at Florida, he won the SEC East 100% of the time. And he got fired. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the SEC, that's man. That's and I would SEC. not, I would not take that job if I'm a coach, but I know a lot of people are. They're trying to link Fuente to that job, which I think is ludicrous. I think Fuente, anybody linking him to that job, is 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 really disrespecting his intelligence level. <laughs> why, 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 why would anybody take that job when you just? All right, first of all, you're going against Nick Saban's. You have you have to temper your expectation. The when, ageless when, Nick Saban, exactly. When when Alabama's in the other division. So Florida was basically the second best team in the SEC the last couple of years, which is pretty darn good, you know, considering you know Nick Saban's in that league. So you you win the league, you win your division one hundred percent of the time, and you get fired. Why would anybody take that job? Why would anybody take any job in the SEC because you get measured to Nick Saban and out for the time being? That's what's happening. You're getting yeah, measured yeah. against Nick Saban Kirby, in Alabama. Kirby Smart looks like a great great hire for Georgia, but. Still, that, how long? That, but, well, how, how long, long was he under Nick Saban? To last? Well, how long was he under Nick Saban at Alabama? I mean, is, he's probably a Nick Saban clone. Yeah, he is at this point. He is. Yeah. But really quick, let's go ahead and address that since it was brought up. I mean, do any three of us just really quickly do we see Fuente bouncing after this year? 
Because I don't. Nope. No. Um, you know, before December 15th, his buyout is $6 million. After December 15th, it drops to $5 million. And I think the biggest buyout that has been paid for a head coach was uh, Paul Christ uh, getting hired by, I guess, where's he at now? I don't know. He's one of those guys that's hard to keep track yeah, of. Yeah, he goes to a different school every uh, year. He's at Wisconsin. Wisconsin, okay. And I think they paid $3.12 million for him. So basically, it would cost double that. Florida to, to, get, to get to get Fuente, and you know, I know the SEC has a lot of money, and people yeah. will always say, "Well, they can afford it if they want to do it." Well, you never see any of them wanting to do it. Uh, you you know, you drop six million dollars and then have to pay him and his whole coaching staff another eight to ten million dollars in salary on top of that. I mean, that that's a big investment for 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 one year. Well, and the other thing you got to realize is we all love Justin Fuente, but that's because we've had him under under a microscope for what two two years now, yeah. and we know how good he is. Uh, he, yes, he took Tech to the ACC championship game last year, but you're, you're Florida, okay? Um, are you, are you going to hire a guy who hasn't really done it yet? He's clearly improving Tech, but he hasn't won a, he hasn't won a conference title yet. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not disparaging him or anything like that. I'm just asking the question. It would look like a good hire if you're Florida, but would it look like a great hire that the fans are always foaming at the mouth for? Right. Well, I mean... I don't think there's any question that programs like a Tennessee or a Florida or, or a program of that of that prestige, I guess, there's no question they should they should knock on his door. There's absolutely no question. Sure. If you are Tennessee or Florida, you need to go find somebody that knows what the hell they're doing and that looks like a competent coach in, in a really cutthroat conference. Yeah. And if Fuente is a great guy to talk to, but I don't see him leaving. I know, Chris, you've been told that he turned down a high-profile job last year, and he yeah. didn't even want to talk to him. A high-profile SEC job last year, and he wouldn't even interview with him. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, so. if that's what if that's what's going on right now, I think Tech fans need to go ahead and, and R-E-L-A-X, relax, yeah. and understand that Tech doesn't really have to worry about that at the end of this year. Yeah, I don't think he has to, you have to worry about that. I mean, I think Tech's in a great position in the Coastal Division right now. You know, it's high-level football, but you're – you know, you're not in the same division with Alabama. Well, that, and you also have a, a reasonable fan base who understands that you're not going to win 11 games every season in, in in your first four seasons. Right. It, you know, maybe, or maybe he will. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess we might get to that point. But it, it, in the SEC, it's gotten to the point where if you don't win 11 to 12 games a season, you know, basically, including your bowl game, you're out. Okay. But but at Tech, it's through his first four years, Tech fans understand that he might have a game where only or a year where he only wins eight games. Right. And 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 there's no need to fire him because of it. You're not going to get run out of town here exactly you know, because of that. And you know, it, it, Florida, man. I, 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 you know, honestly, well, you you were probably more familiar uh, than I am. But was Florida like a good program before Steve Spurrier? That's a good question. That that's actually going a little bit before my time. I think Spur. Uh, I remember Spurrier when Spurrier would have got there and right after he came from Duke. Duke, so which would have been late seventies, early eighties. No, no, he won. That. He won the ACC at Duke in eighty nine. Well, I think that they. Had, I think they had a guy named Galen Hall coaching them back right. then. That, that was didn't they get uh, on probation with Galen Hall or something like that? Yeah, I think he's one of those names that's synonymous yeah. with cheating. But yeah. you know, Emmett Smith came from Florida. I think Emmett Smith was playing for them back when yeah. I was in school. Uh huh. And Tech actually went down and played in Gainesville one time. Right. And I remember Florida was one, two, three in the country. We weren't going to win that game. Right. As, as usual, Tech went down there was competitive, right. but, you know, they didn't win. 
my perception of Florida is that historically they were good before Spurrier, but not elite until Spurrier got there. Uh, and they haven't been elite since Spurrier left. Quite, quite well, uh, except, for the, except for the Urban Meyer yeah, era. Yeah, and, uh, they were really good under Urban Meyer. Right. So, but to me, it seems like it takes an elite coach to make Florida elite. And I guess that might be the same for any school. But how? But how many elite coaches are there? I mean, it's not like it's not like there are twenty or thirty you elite. Can, you're elite. You can count them on one hand. Right. And what is an elite coach? Is it the top five? Is it the top ten? I don't know, but I think Fuente's probably one of them. Um, and I think if you look around the rest of the country, you know, I th- I th- obviously you've got uh, Saban, Urban Meyer's not going back. Uh, I think Shaw at Stanford's really good. As much as I don't like the guy, uh, I think Brian Kelly's really good. Um, so what direction do you turn to if you're Florida? So let's uh, back up a little bit and answer the question. Looking at looking at their past records, they had a couple of nine-win seasons in the 80s, but uh, – I see some other six and seven win seasons so sprinkled right. in there. So they were basically really good under Spurrier, and then right after that under Meyer. Yeah, but but, but not, not so much before then. At least in the eighties, I didn't go back and look at the seventies. So it's like a bigger version of of UVA under George Welsh. The only time UVA football has really been good is under George Welsh. Okay, and you're saying that it's, it's came Addie, Spurrier it's that and, except winning a few national championships on top of it. And I'm I'm saying George Welsh is Spurrier slash Urban Meyer for UVA, and then nobody else really has been able to win there consistently. The other question in this topic that I wanted to get to was, do you think that Mark Richt, who had a, a relatively good season at Miami in his first year, especially considering where they came from before they before they brought in Richt, do you think Richt can continue the success that he's had so far at Miami? And do you, how far – what is his ceiling there in Coral Gables? Hmm. Well, based on the recruiting rankings, they're going to continue to do well. Miami currently has the number three class in the country. They've always recruited well, haven't but, they? But that good? You know, I don't know. And, and, it, and it always comes down to – Not since Butch was recruiting for the <laughs> Quote, unquote, recruiting. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so if he keeps piling up top five recruiting classes, um, yeah, they're they're going to be they're going to be hard to beat. Yeah, but I think uh, you know Virginia Tech's ramping up. Also, Virginia Tech's not going to re- uh, reel in top five recruiting classes, uh, but they are going to be a problem for Miami for the next ten, fifteen for for the foreseeable future. Miami has to play Florida State every year. Rick's ceiling at Miami is probably similar to what it was at Georgia. 9, 10, 11 wins a year. I, hmm, it's hard to imagine Miami actually winning the ACC because they've never even won the Coastal. But surely it's going to happen at some point. It, I mean, it almost has to at this point. It, yeah. it, it has to. If, mean, if you're going to recruit at that high of a level, you have a good enough coach in Rick. It's it it, it it just makes too much sense for at least one year for them to to win the to win so, the so coastal t- and maybe even the ACC. You've seen Duke and North Carolina and Georgia Tech win the coastal. The, <laughs> the, the only programs that haven't won won the coastal are Pitt, who's only been in the coastal for two or three years, UVA, who's UVA, and uh, and Miami. Yeah, yeah, how about that. Yeah. So yeah, there was a Miami fan on our boards this week, and and one of our fans responded to him by saying. Uh, I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he basically said we should be winning the division every year, meaning either Virginia Tech or Miami, and that's absolutely correct. Yeah. So if they let's say Miami wins the Coastal half the time, five out of every ten years, they can win the ACC maybe twice out of those five times. So 
maybe his ceiling at Miami is a couple ACC championships every decade or so. Yeah, you know, if he keeps up the trend at Georgia, he'll have very good talent, but you know, not quite won a national championship. Be really, really good, but uh, just be held back by something. Whether it's a, uh, I, I don't think he's. I think Rick's a really nice guy, so I'm, I'm not sure what kind of a disciplinarian he is, and, and you know that might be part of it. Um, but I do think he's going to be the best coach Miami's had in a long time. And, you know, Butch Davis, uh, he recruited a lot of good players there that Larry Coker won a national championship with. But Butch Davis is not as good a coach as Mark Richt, I mean, in my opinion. And, you know, Dennis Erickson was their coach right before Butch Davis. And Erickson's a I good coach, so, yeah, but, but he got well, put, he got him put on probation. Every, he's, well, he's like uh, John Calipari. Everywhere he goes, he get put on probation. Right, right. And and ironically, Butch Davis got hired to clean it up. <laughs> but but so, but you whoops. know, I, but, I don't know that Miami's had like an elite coach in a, in a long time. I, I think Rick brings them more stability than any coach has brought them in a long time. And he's a Miami grad who wants to be there. Like yeah. uh, some old school Tech fans will remember when Virginia Tech not Jim Kelly out of the game and ended Kelly's college career. 1982. 1982. The, the, the quarterback that came into the game to replace Kelly was Mark Richt. Yeah. So so here's what I'm excited about. It looks like, again, if Florida State can get up off the mat, it looks like you're going to have Clemson and Florida State in the Atlantic and Virginia Tech and Miami in the Coastal. And if we, as we have ranted about many times, the rest of the ACC is packed full of teams that do not deserve to even win a division championship. <laughs> They're turning out twenty-five to 30,000 fans a game. You know, there there is no environment at all at these places. I want the four teams I just mentioned to just basically curb stomp the rest of the ACC for the next decade. Right. You know, that would – people say that wouldn't be good for the conference. I heard uh, Joey Galloway talking on ESPN the other day, and he made the case that parity is bad for a conference. If you really want your conference to be well-perceived, you need – two or three or four really good teams at the top, and everybody else needs to be fodder for them. Right. Um, maybe you need guys like NC State that are good teams that can that have good records to go and win bowl games. But, you know, Duke, Wake, sorry UVA, UVA, Boston College, they need to be going over or one for every year in the ACC. That's how it needs uh, to be. Against those major schools, at least. Uh, yes. You know, they can beat up on each other, and, and the, best, do whatever and the best team out of all of them will win eight games and get the ACC's fifth bowl game or something like that. <laughs> so that was, you know, I mean, we've seen this model in the Big Ten for, for a long, long, to- long time, really. I mean, you, you've had Ohio State. You, you've had Wisconsin. Michigan's generally good. Uh, and, uh, you know, Penn State's get, getting back there. Um, it's, it's always uh, – it's always generally that that's the top four teams that people think about. So in the SEC, they they tend to they tend to have the one division that that's really good. I don't know my SEC alignment. Okay, yeah, I mean, I think in the West, you would you would Alabama, say Alabama, LSU, Alabama, LSU, and in the East, you and would, Auburn, well, you, right? Uh, yeah, and Auburn to a certain extent. Yeah, so maybe those three, and then in, and then in your your other division, you have Florida and Georgia. So there really should be five teams, I think. In the SEC, uh, the SEC would have five that I would classify as teams that have a chance to win a national championship. But the point I'm making is that the ACC will have two in each division, mm-hmm. and that's good rather than having three in one division and one in the other or four and none. Yeah. You know, so uh, I like it. Let's focus on this week. Virginia Tech obviously plays Miami at is a Hard Rock Stadium now, I believe. It it's is. newly renovated. It's 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 supposed to be really nice. Very I still cool call looking. it Pro Player Stadium. Joe Robbie Stadium. Joe Robbie Stadium. That's it. <laughs> uh, so and they'll play at 8 p.m. on Saturday on ABC primetime slot. 
One of the biggest differences between last year's game where Tech really, really pounded Miami and Blacksburg and this week is that you're going to have a completely different style of quarterback for Miami. Obviously, last year you had Brad Kaya, who was drafted in the NFL and, and hasn't really done a ton. I believe he is either with the Lions or is on a practice squad somewhere. Uh, now you have Malik Rozier, who's obviously a different style guy, more of a dual threat, definitely more mobile. How much of a challenge does he pose to the Virginia Tech defense? Uh, quite a bit more of a challenge, I think, because Virginia Tech is, and all teams really, struggle more to, to stop mobile quarterbacks these days. Uh, you know, with regards to Brad Kaya, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the edited version of Major League, but the, there's a point in that movie where Lou Brown, the Indians manager, says to uh, to Willie Mays Hayes, well, you, you may you may run like Mays, but you uh, hit like his sister. Well, it's kind of the other way around for, for Kaya. <laughs> he, he ran like Mays' sister. I mean, that guy couldn't run at all. I think I'm more mobile than, than that guy. Oh, Woody Barrett terrorized him uh, last year. I think Tech had eight sacks in that game, and Ken Keenum didn't even play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bar- Barron had Trayvon Hill and Vinny Mahota where you're starting defensive ends, and Ricky Walker and, and uh, Woody Barron where you're starting defensive tackles. Um, yeah, we, and we, Mahota got hurt that game. Yeah. Well, we ran a picture on TSL with our game preview, and it's Trayvon Hill and I. I think the other guys, Mahota, just just crushing Kaya. Yeah, and, and they were in the backfield all game long. Uh, so it's going to be a little more difficult to do that this time around. Uh, but I'm still, I'm still more concerned about their their traditional running game or their option running game their quarterback draws and things like that and they're they're going to run uh rogier a lot i think i mean they don't have a backup running back right now ever since mark walton got hurt it's been two guys carrying the load i mean in their game against syracuse which was a close game only two players carried the ball the starting running back and the starting quarterback travis homer and malik rogier exactly so the you know, I, I know it's easy to say, well, Miami always has talent. They've always they've always got athletes up and down at every position. Well, apparently not. That's not the case. They they don't seem to think so. They're not they're not handing they, anybody else the football. They don't seem to think so at running back. I mean, Mark Richt even put out a an ad on Twitter back back in May saying graduate uh, transfer running backs needed basically apply within. So I mean, he knew his. So you can't back recruit individual bad. players, but you could tweet one you can, ads. Out. You can tweet one ads. It's smart. Mark Ricks is yeah, smart. Yeah, good move. Yeah, didn't work because <laughs> I guess they didn't get one. But yeah, you know, if Tech can actually, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but if they can knock one of those two guys out of the game, then that's going to make it really difficult. Well, well, well speaking it. of which, Malik Rozier did get hurt versus mm-hmm. North Carolina. It was a shoulder Hurt-ish injury. Shoulder, yeah. uh, I believe he's been a limited participant in practice so far this week at, at Miami. I'm assuming he's going to be a go for for Miami. Yeah. And if he isn't, well, we saw what Miami looked like without Malik Rozier in the game versus North Carolina, and they did not look all that good. They didn't look good even with him in the That's game. True. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Very true. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that he's not a high percentage passer. But if you, if you look at his touchdown-interception ratio, it's pretty it's, good. It's the same as Josh Jackson. Yeah, you know, he's 17-4. Yeah, he doesn't throw interceptions. Uh He's not not a high percentage passer, fifty six point three, fifty six point seven. He completes a ton of big plays. Yeah, but, but he's he's a big play guy, and you know he can run the football and, and things like that. You got to get him in long yardage situations. But if he's hurt and it makes him less physical of a runner, with regards to putting his shoulder down and and things like that. Um, but I don't know. So coaches are coy when it comes to injuries. You know, I know Justin Fuente said. Nijman is day to day. That guy's not day to day. He's not playing. Saw him in crutches and a walking boot on Tuesday. <laughs> I know two people. Two, two people who saw him in Kroger two days ago on uh, riding one of the electric carts. Now you're not riding that in Kroger if there's any chance at all you're playing in a football game. So does anybody here remember C.J. Carroll? 
Yes. yes. He's been listed as a starter in Tech's game notes for, you know, the entire season. And he that, hasn't played since that the depth chart, game. Right. That depth chart changed one time. For, for, that was significant. You want to know when? When was that? When Adonis was suspended. It's <laughs> yeah. the only time. And I think and you've seen Sean Savoy thrown in there a couple times. Right. But. Sean Savoy is listed as the backup slot receiver. <laughs> he starts every game. Um, Kuma starts every game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um one of the things that when I was researching this Miami offense, before we got to the game, even before we started recording the podcast, they're really good at big plays. That's kind of what their offense is. They're not very good on third downs, but they're very good at churning out these big chunk plays. They have four wide receivers that have uh, an average yards per catch of 20 or more. Now, yeah. granted, those receivers don't have a ton of receptions. But when you have four guys on your roster that have at least, I think it's like six catches for 20 yards a catch, yeah, that shows that you are throwing the ball vertically down the field and you're connecting. It's actually 10 catches or more for all three of those guys. Between wow. 10 and 14. Their third leaning receiver has 14 catches. Uh, and we're not ta- we're not counting Braxton Berrios here, who I think is the best traditional slot receiver that Virginia Tech yeah. will face all season. Uh, he's a really good player. Uh, he, he averages 13 yards a catch, but... You know, when you're catching a lot more passes than everybody else, it's, you know, not everybody's going to be Andre Davis and average 26 yeah. yards a catch with over 30 catches. Isn't right? Miami seventh in, in, in basically big play efficiency? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah they're way yeah, up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah their, their numbers are very good there. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about Berrios and uh, watch that matchup with him against uh, Mook Reynolds and and tech safeties. I think Barrios will play in the NFL. I think he's a, he's, yeah, he's, he's only five, nine. I was surprised. He's, he's one of those guys that he, I don't want to use the phrase that he plays bigger than that, but uh, I'd love to have that guy. You know, he's about team. Ryan Switzer's size. who's was yeah. a, you know, very good, very good receiver for, for UNC, similar type of athlete, a very good punt returner, everything like that. Um, I, I, I wish he was playing for Virginia tech. And I remember when Virginia tech recruited him out, out of the Raleigh area. Wow. This is a high-risk, high-reward defense for Miami. They're not very good at stopping the run. Uh, they are 83rd in rush defense just in terms of yards per game, and they're 52nd in total defense. But they're 24th in takeaways, which is pretty good, and they got that turnover chain. <laughs> and they're plus 10 in turnover margin for the season, which is one of the best in the country. Um, how important is it for Virginia Tech to really just take care of the ball? And, and we know it's important every week, but – it seems like Miami really thrives on creating turnovers and then having big plays on offense. Sometimes it's when you look at statistics, it's really easy to figure a game out. And this one is really easy to figure out. If you're Virginia Tech, do not turn the ball over. Win the hidden yardage battle that you've been winning basically all year. Um, don't give up the big play. Force Miami to convert third downs and drive and the have length of the 10, field. 10, 12 play drives. Yeah, you know, and and yes, you can say those are key stats for every game, but uh, it's really it, it feels this. like it's yeah. more so for this one. Yeah, because the the stats back it up. Uh, you know, when you say that Miami's got a bad rush defense, well, Virginia Tech has a a poor traditional running game yep. right now. So unfortunately, Virginia Tech's weak where they're weak. Um, so like I said, it's just not hard to figure out, and then it, I think it will come. It it's one of those games. Now they all come down to a few plays. But I think that'll be really true of this one. I don't want to be sitting here on next week week's podcast talking about three Miami touchdowns for 40-plus yards and Tech lost 
That's yeah. the only way teams have been able to score on Virginia Tech the, the last three games. I mean, Boston College's touchdown drive was three plays, and they were all three over They, they had yards. five consecutive plays of 25-plus or 20-plus yards, Boston right. College you, you did, were, after doing nothing the whole game. After doing nothing the whole game. The only time UNC scored was on a 43-yard catch and run. The only time Duke scored was after that scramble, and they just got into scramble mode and threw the ball downfield for a 42-yard gain, ended up kicking a field goal. You know, I mean, if, if it wasn't for – for those few plays, I mean, opponents would have scored three points against Virginia Tech over the last few games. So I just don't see Miami being able to drive the length of the field on a consistent basis against the Hokies. Here's the thing with Miami. Virginia Tech has faced a couple good teams this year. They've faced West Virginia, who even though they're not ranked anymore, if you look at their three losses, they, they've lost to some good teams. You know, Will Greer's number nine in the country in passing efficiency. He's, so he's didn't know still that, tearing but yeah, up. But yeah, yeah, Will Greer's having a good year, and they played Clemson. And obviously they lost to Clemson at home and didn't look very good in that game. You've got to throw Boston College in here a little bit maybe right now. Maybe, maybe. Team. All right, if you look at Miami's schedule, I'm going to read off these opponents, and I want you to tell me which of these teams you think is, is really good, or, or at least respectable. Bethune-Cookman? No. Arkansas State? Nope. Toledo? Nope. Duke? Nope. Florida State? Ha! Nope. <laughs> Georgia Tech? Nope. Maybe. They lost to Tennessee, man. You can't lose to Tennessee and be considered a good team. I'm sorry. Syracuse, maybe? Well, that was in Miami. Syracuse is, is tough at home. And they, they beat Clemson. At home, yeah. I mean, Syracuse is – there will be a 6-6 six and six football team. Uh, and then, then yeah. and the other teams, UNC. No. Those are, those <laughs> are the teams that Miami's beaten well, this year. So yeah. how, how much of their success – and their statistical numbers and their efficiency numbers have been inflated by the schedule. See, overall, their schedule has been tougher than Virginia Tech's. Uh, like, Virginia Tech has played three teams outside the top 100, but Miami hasn't played two teams as good as Clemson or, or West Virginia uh, as, as far as the S&P Plus overall ratings go, and that's what I'm thinking about. So Miami's schedule on the aggregate is actually a little bit better than Virginia Tech's, but Virginia Tech in terms of the best teams both teams have faced, has been challenged more than Miami. Let's move on to the over-unders uh, portion of the podcast. Obviously, last week was kind of a bit of a boring week for us. We all picked the under on both. So we had Daniel Jones' completion percentage at 50%. Oof. He went 10 of 24 and didn't look very good doing it. We all took the under. Coleman Fox, over-under at 9.5 carries. We smartly took the under on that. Yep. And he had two carries wow. <laughs> and, and it wouldn't shock me if we see a similar number again on saturday so after last week will you're up to nine and three looking very good chris is at seven and five and i'm at six and six so will you're still sitting with that comfortable two-point advantage but we'll see if we can knock on you so little. i have to pick first yes week, yes right? we are going to start oh, with right. you picking first on all of these the first over under we're going to do and this will be one of the key stats of the game and it might be a bit of a cop-out because of where i'm setting it but i'm going to set it at a half for turnovers by Virginia Tech. And we're going to set it at a half. Miami's forced 16 turnovers this season so far in their seven games. Just would give you that stat, but we'll go ahead. I'm going to go over, and I really, really hope it's just one turnover, just like on the Miami 20, <laughs> as Tech is holding a three-touchdown lead. <laughs> the, the only way I'm going to catch you is if I start picking different answers. And you just can't do it on but that But I can't do it on that one. I was, uh, I'm going to go over two, and I really like you. I really hope it's at one. Now, I will say that Miami, eight of those turnovers they forced have come the last two weeks against Syracuse and, and North Carolina. It, it, let's face it, North Carolina's, North Carolina throws 
interceptions like the Astros and the Dodgers they're, are hitting home runs. <laughs> I mean, their quarterback versus Miami was a redshirt freshman. It was their third quarterback of the year. Yeah. Four different players threw a pass for North Carolina in, in that game. So since you're going to go under, I'm going to go over. over on that. Excuse me. I'm going to go over as well. So okay, God, we're boring. Yeah, well, I'm going to go over as well. I do think Tech will have a turnover, but I actually think that they still will at least break even in the turnover margin. Agreed. Uh, no, I, think, I, I do. I, think I do think that they'll break yeah. even in the turnover margin. The last one we're going to do today is Virginia Tech team rushing yards. I'm going to set it at 180. Miami is averaging 179 yards. Uh, excuse me, 179.71 rushing yards per game. And Tech is averaging exactly 180 yards rushing per game. So this is a great place to set this over-under. Tech, 180 rushing yards over-under. Will do you? Mm. You're going to get a little bit of dead air while I try to figure this one out. Um, I, Tech is 51st in the FBS in rushing offense. And how many yards per game do they have? 180. 180. Oh, 180. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go under. And, and Miami averages just under 180. So you're going to go under 180. I'm going to go under. Miami racks up a lot of tackles for loss. So what? So did Duke, and they only had two against Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's possible Miami can get in the backfield, make some tackles behind the line. Um I'm going to go with the under. You know, this, going with the under is probably the smart play. Um, I mean, when you consider that, you know, with Nijman probably out, and Osterlo probably no, more known as a run blocker than, than a pass blocker, you know, that Miami could blitz a lot. And if they get two or three sacks, that, that could really, really hurt those rushing numbers. But Miami's defense is also susceptible to misdirection. And, yes, they and are. We saw that last year, and when Virginia Tech's offense just absolutely lit up that defense. And Trayvon McMillan ran like the freshman version of Trayvon McMillan. He's probably due to he have ran, a big he, game. He ran really hard against Miami last year, and I don't think he necessarily runs as hard all the time as he did in that Miami game. Uh, I'm going to regret doing this, but I have to go against the, the, the grain at some point, and, and I'll go over. This week, one of the one of the things that Eric Gallo talked about, one of the things that Trayvon McMillan talked about, was the fact that Miami is very aggressive defensively, and that they can be maybe attacked in the, in those ways and, and attacked in their aggressiveness. I'm going to go under on this, but only because I think Virginia Tech is going to hit them on some big play action plays. I think you're going to you're going to catch them being aggressive in the backfield, trying to cheat up against and stop the run, and I think Tech's going to hit them over the top for maybe two or three good passing plays, and I think that they're going to use the pass a little bit because Miami's so concerned about getting plays in the backfield. So I'm going to go under as well on that. All right. All right. Sound fair? Fair. All right, go ahead, Will. Give me your prediction for this game. I predicted 20-17. to 17. I think this will be similar to the 2004 game. I think whereas Virginia Tech, West Virginia, was very entertaining for the unaffiliated, unattached fan, I'm not this sure this – so You know, if you look at the statistics and the way both teams play – uh, I, I don't think it's going to be as entertaining. It's going to be. It's going to be entertaining for us. It's going to be close, um, but I think Tech comes out of top twenty to seventeen. Miami's won twelve in a row, and they are just due. Yeah, um, twelve in a row. I mean, Miami's good, but they're not good enough to win twelve. That's an unde- that's row. an undefeated. We're going to the playoffs. Yeah, type of season, right? And you know they've been teetering on the brink the last four weeks of almost losing. Yeah, I mean they should have lost to Florida State, and Florida State is not good. Syracuse had a chance to take the lead late, even after Dungey threw four interceptions. Uh, yeah. Carolina, God, that they handed that game to a silver on a silver platter to Carolina on several occasions. Carolina, Carolina gave just it back. wasn't good enough to take it, to take advantage. <laughs> you know that they beat Georgia Tech on a last second field goal. 
after Mark Rick made the decision to onside kick in the second half and Georgia Tech returned it for a touchdown or something like that. I mean, they're they're just trying to lose football games. Well, if they try to lose the game to Virginia Tech, they're going to lose the game to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech will not be as polite. Virginia Tech will not be as polite under Justin Fuente. So uh, I'm going 24-17. If Virginia Tech can limit Miami's big plays, I could actually see Miami scoring fewer than 17 points in this one. Yep. I predicted 23-21, and I think that at least 14 of those 21 points for Miami will come on big plays. Uh, but I do think that Tech will be able to get down into the red zone a few more times than we saw versus Duke. But I don't know if they're going to be able to punch it in. I, so, I'm not... so so you're predicting Virginia Tech to kick three field goals in this game? I am. Ooh, now, now, okay, now that should be one of the over and under questions sometimes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. How that's many, actually, how many, yeah. How many that's, field goals Joey Sly makes? How many field goals Joey Sly is going to kick? Yeah, and that that's one that there's no statistical evidence to to back it up either way. It's, it's just, just kind a of random a guess. Yeah. If you just set it at like one and a half or two and a half yeah. every game, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go 23-21. The, the spread is two and a half. Tech is favored in this game. And that was the thing I wrote in the game preview. Tech fans are really confident. Will, you texted me right after the, the Duke game. You told me that Tech was going to win that game. By two touchdowns. And now you're and then I start then walking, I started studying Miami. And you're walking back like, on that one a little bit. But I've talked to a lot of my friends that are, that are Tech students. I've talked to a lot of people around the Tech department. I know you guys are picking Tech. The message boards are picking Tech. Twitter's picking Tech. The experts are picking Tech. <laughs> And Tech's favorite on the road against a team with a better record and that's ranked higher than them. Uh, it, just, it, it is weird. Doesn't it? Yeah. it? It seems a little weird. But I am going to go with Tech. I just don't have a, a lot of confidence in Miami. And I think that this might be the first signature win at the Justin Fuente era. I just can't see Miami winning 13 games in a row. That's a – yeah, I mean, that's – it makes makes total sense. Oh, but, but if they do, you know, all the talk afterwards would be like, nobody was picking us. Well, we're, if they, we're the you, baby. If they do, they're going to get stomped <laughs> by Notre Dame the very next week. Yeah. yeah Notre okay, Dame is okay. good. Man, so, yeah. That's a brutal two-game stretch, it is. isn't it? And the, la- and, the la- Dame. and the last time Miami lost a couple games in a row was yeah. back-to-back games. Against, actually, Tech and Notre Dame. Tech and Notre Dame was actually part of a four-game losing streak. And that's the last time Miami lost. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for this one. Remember, if you haven't read the uh, Virginia Tech game preview versus Miami on TSL, go ahead and read that now. We'll obviously have plenty of more content coming the rest of the week before the game. I will be in South Florida this weekend for the game at Miami. I'm really excited about that. We'll have full coverage from the game this Saturday, and then we'll have coverage on Sunday as I make my way back to Blacksburg. But until next week, and until we talk about the game that happens on Sunday, we'll see you next time. 